this is Beth Moon. Welcome to the Holiday Moons podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and I will be continuing our Beach Party Movie series. This week is Where the Boys Are. This is Sydney, and I will be talking about Botanical Gardens. This is Cole, and I'll be starting a new series, which I'm calling Off-Brand Tourism. We're taking a look at some attractions which are kind of similar to well-known attractions across the United States. That sounds fun. Beginning of summer type of activities and lots of different series. So we have a few holiday happenings for the week. Uh, For one thing, this past Friday was my birthday. Yay! So I had a very fun celebration with my family, just my immediate family, the four of us here. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Which was fun. Uh, We uh, celebrated once Cole got off work and, and came home and I had burgers and... This thing called cheese and noodles that this thing <laughs> that my family loves and it's a recipe from Randy's mom. That's right, and I think she got it from a magazine. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I always thought it was like a passed on generation to generation because most other families I know don't know what it is. Yeah. But she actually found it in a woman's magazine that had used to have recipe recipes. That's like so funny. Woman's Day or yeah. I don't know, so this like, like a moon family. It's like a moon recipe now. Well, the but the Bartholomews knew it too, so I don't know. I think she must have passed it on to Maybe her sister. Yeah. So it was a very fun birthday um, with lots of presents and lots of fun. And apple pie. Capped off with some all-American apple pie. All-American apple pie, that's right. So thank you guys for a wonderful birthday. And a fun uh, game of Haunted Mansion Life. That's right. Your favorite Disney ride. That's right. That was very fun. That um, was. Which we've mentioned before on uh, on the podcast, I think. We really liked it. We played it. Yeah, it was good. It was very fun. Some other things that have been happening. Uh, we've been watching on Facebook and other places, people celebrating their graduation and their prom. And we've talked about um, a couple of those kind of ideas of how could you celebrate these things um, in a in these times of quarantine and social distancing and things like that. So it's been fun for me to see how they, like the creativity associated with that. I saw a graduation celebration parade on Facebook for a friend. They had a fire truck in the beginning and they had lots of balloons and you know, handing gifts out from the cars. And I think they were throwing quarters that they then collected kind of at the end for like a you know, for a cash kind of thing. So that was kind of fun. So it was a parade do. of cars going by her house. Right. After the fire truck. After the fire truck. Right. And her dad is, is part of the fire station. He's a firefighter, so. And then another idea that some friends of ours had was to fulfill the senior prom for their um, son and his girlfriend. And they were able to do that basically in their house uh, just for the two of them. But with some help, they kind of created the theme, which was Roaring Twenties. That was supposed to be their school's prom, senior prom theme. So they did that. And then they surprised the girlfriend uh, by bringing her over for, uh, you know, like a nice meal. They basically told her just to dress up. They were going to do something fun. So she was surprised to see that they did all this uh, prom-related things. And they cooked, like, really nice steaks. And um, the mom and dad dressed up as waiter and waitress to kind of serve them and so it sounded like that was a really good time too and then uh, next week we have our switch of our decorations inside our house from the in between uh, easter and summer decor to pure summer and patriotic themed decor 
So I'll be switching us out next week for flags and red, white, and blue items. For the next several months. So this week, I will continue the series on beach party movies. Last week, I talked about Gidget, which was the first beach party movie. Uh, This week, the film is Where the Boys Are, starring Connie Francis. This was Connie Francis's first movie role. She was a singer back then, but also um, then starred in a a number of movies along the way. So first, I'll give you a synopsis of the film. Another beach party movie, like I mentioned with Gidget, um, there's a lot of focus in beach party movies basically on boys, girls, and those relationships. And over time, not a lot of uh, actual, not, not a lot of like moral lessons to learn. So from. less morals over time. <laughs> well, yeah, basically. <laughs> so Where the Boys Are was um, released in 1960. So the main focus is basically a coming of age for four students at a Midwestern university during spring break, spring vacation. The four girls are Merritt, who's the smart and assertive leader of the four of some. She expresses opinion in class that the concept of free love, which would have been kind of in its early phase, early thought process um, during 1960, might be something that is not as bad as what the parents make it out to be. Then there's Melanie, who's more of an insecure friend to Merritt, and Tuggle, who basically is just looking for a boyfriend to uh, make a family with. And then Angie, who is actually played by Connie Francis, who's, according to the description, is an athletic girl and is clueless when it comes to romance. In the film, that didn't actually come out that specifically. She mentioned being athletic. It didn't really show her, her being athletic during the movie. Mm. So a, a tell-not-show kind of situation. Right. So the girls uh, all convince each other to go to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. And along the way, Merritt meets a suave rich boy, Ivy Leaguer, named Ryder, who's played by George Hamilton, a very young George Hamilton. Yeah, very young. um, Who's a senior at Brown University. The girls' attitudes towards the idea of free love changes over the span of the movie. So Merritt is the one who's the, the leader of the group. She is much more the idea, well, maybe free love and more casual relationships are okay. Over t- over the life of the movie, she then realizes that she's really not ready for that sort of thing. The reality of it kind of hits home when she goes on spring break with her friends and kind of now she's encountering a boy who may want to be um, in that kind of relationship with her and she's not ready for it. Her friend Melanie basically jumps into a relationship with a boy and assumes that the boy has feelings of love for her Versus being more of a casual relationship. And that comes hurt her in the long run. Because she thinks that they're falling in love. But really, they're just having a really short relationship that's really not going like anywhere. Like a fling. Like a fling. Yeah. And exactly. she, she brought up marriage to him. Right. After a week. And yes. So she, you can see yes. where her head was. Like a spring him. fling. That's the, that's the whole, right. yeah, where that comes from. Yeah. Right. Melanie references to that boy. There was a story of a... Of a girl that met a boy down there the previous year and they got married. After right? a week. After a week, right? She kept referencing that. Yeah. Um, their other friend, Tuggle, ends up kind of hanging out with this goofy boy named T.V. Thompson, who's a junior from Michigan State University. Oh, names back in the 60s. And they, the two of them kind of hang out as friends for most of the movie, but then he becomes enamored with an older woman who works as a mermaid swimmer slash dancer in a local bar. So that kind of... Um, sets them onto the path. What is yeah. mermaid dancing? It would just be like flopping. <laughs> well, right? there was this huge no, aquarium, 
And she would. She would do. She basically well, yeah. would swim. I know swim. the swimming part. I'm just thinking of dance. Mer- what would mermaid dancing out of water look like? Yeah, yeah it would be a lot of flopping. It'd be a lot of flopping. Right, right. And then Angie, who is Connie Francis, actually they say stumbles into love with an eccentric jazz musician Basil, and Angie um, is the one who sings and is known for the song "Where the Boys Are." Connie Francis uh, sings that for the movie, and then. For many, many years through her career, she was known um, as the person who sang that song, um, and it was a very famous song. They basically go through this, each of them and their interpersonal relationships are kind of figuring out the where they are on this this scale, right? Of, of free love. Of free love or casual relationships versus having a more committed, traditional, what they would say their parents would want from them. And in the end, they all kind of gravitate back to where their parents really would have wanted them, which is find a, a boy who you can grow together and love in. Yeah, right, and there's get married. respect and right, care right. and, yeah. Uh, so that so that was interesting. It, it definitely had, it still had a, you know, definitely a moral point to it, mm-hmm. which I think the later ones that we'll see do not have. Some interesting tidbits of information about this movie was prior to this time, very few college students actually used their week off from school, in fact, in the movie they call it Easter break. They did, um, yeah. To go travel to warm, sunny beaches like we were so used to today. It was actually the book that was written that created this movie, Glendon Swarthout, that caused the phenomenon of spring break at Fort Lauderdale to happen. It's, it is said that as a result of that book, which then quickly became a movie, Fort Lauderdale was hit with. With something like 75,000 kids. And the National Guard had to be called in to help patrol the streets and things like that. Now in the movie itself, they actually have a scene where the police know that the spring breakers are going to come for this one week. So it was almost like every school across the country had the same week off. And it was Easter week. So they knew all these kids were going to come down. So they talked about how like they had this scene where the, the head police officer was talking to all the patrol officers and they basically said hey we know there's going to be kids and they're they're not here to break the law but they're going to break the law so we want you to do your best to um, treat them like guests but keep and try not to arrest anybody but keep them in line do your best not to arrest them these are our future voters blah 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 blah. yeah it was an interesting viewpoint so it made it sound like the local police were just fine with it yeah yeah like it's yeah they're basically going to Right, tolerate it for that week, and then it would go away. And it was good for their local economy. All the you know, all the things that were positive about it. So that that was kind of interesting. So is the book and then in the movie that really kind of solidified the concept of spring break, and specifically in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Author Glendon Swarthout was a college English teacher. He credits his time living with college students as kind of seeing this change in attitude where. Young college students, both male and female, had adopted this this more looser, freer attitude towards relationships and dating, much more so than their parents. And that's what spurred him to write the book. The screenplay for the movie was written basically when the novel came out. The people who made the movie recognized there was a lot of potential for the story and knew that it would be popular um, among the teen market. And teens in the late, mid to late 50s, were spending a lot more money, were going to movies, like they, they became a force in the economy. 
so this was something that they wanted to jump on, and they actually put the movie out the same year that the book came out. Oh, wow. That's fast, yeah. Right. So that this story did garner some negative publicity. Of course. Due to the um, subject matter, the idea of more free love and those kind of relationships. But it also won a number of awards. It won two Laurel Awards, one for the best comedy of the year, and some other awards for specific actors along the way. So of the two movies I've watched so far, Gidget and Where the Boys Are, I actually enjoyed Gidget more than Where the Boys Are. But I could see... Because this one focused a lot on the idea of spring break and just like sheer masses of kids and much more of the relationships, much more drinking. Now, drinking was really the worst thing that they did for the most part as far as what most of the kids were doing. So I could kind of see the appeal from a teenager perspective for for that kind of movie. But it was interesting that they all did learn their lesson at the end of the week and it was to be much more conservative. In the relationships that they had. Relationship-oriented versus casual relationships. Right, exactly. So that was a fun movie, uh, a fun summer movie. Kind of lighthearted. Yeah. (laughs) I'm getting it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, which one are we watching next? Because we've been (laughs) watching these together. That's been fun. Yeah. Well, another thing that you can do, apart from going to beaches during the summer, is Or or summer beach movies. Or to watch summer beach movies. <laughs> or living a summer beach movie. Yeah, yeah sure. or that too. Write a book. <laughs> you know, you may a movie may be created that same year. You never know. That's right. I was looking up summer bucket lists. Things to do in the summer. Just different ideas. And the one thing that came up was visit a botanical garden. So um, I'm, I'll be giving you some information about that. What it is. Um, a little bit of history. And just some information botanical or botanic gardens are tracts of land set aside for the cultivation of a diversity of plant species grow not as cash crops although botanical gardens may have commercial purposes but rather for study and pleasure botanical gardens including tree collections have served a variety of purposes throughout american history Research, education, conservation, plant development, and entertainment. Botanical gardens may specialize in local flora or present plants from around the world within the limits of the local soil and climate unless the plants are placed in a greenhouse. I always liked the uh, like Jurassic Park looking plants. <laughs> the ones that made me feel like I was, you know. In a different place. In a different time. The arrangement of the botanical garden must balance an aesthetic presentation with educational purposes and spaces open to visitors, and yet useful for botanists and conservationists, although most botanical field research is carried out in environments other than public botanical gardens. Botanical gardens are often home to experiments with hybridization and the development of new plant species. So a little history on botanic gardens... Gardens and the cultivation of plants have been around for thousands of years, with the first examples dating to around 3,000 years ago in ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, which, I mean, makes sense. However, the first true botanic gardens with an underlying scientific foundation were the Physic Gardens of Italy, created in the 16th and 17th centuries. The first of these Physic Gardens was the Garden of the University of Pisa, which was created by Luca Gini in 1543. Following this, other Italian universities followed suit 
and gardens were created in three other cities. These gardens were purely for the academic study of medical plants. By the 16th century, these uh, medical gardens had spread to universities and apothecaries throughout Central Europe, such as Cologne and Prague. Yeah, so that's interesting. They started out with a, a very specific scientific purpose. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then that made me wonder, what's the difference between botanical gardens and just regular gardens? Because I was thinking of the ones at Disney, mm-hmm. right? Because they, they have plants and stuff that they're hi- like a hybrid plants and different things like that that they show. So I was just kind of wondering what the difference was. Well, we've been to many places that have tourist gardens that you can just visit, walk through, and they're really pretty. Right. Yeah. Like Monticello. Yeah, they have gardens, gardens on their there. Right. Like a lot of different places yeah. that you go to. Historic uh, museums and sites and stuff like that will have either a memorial garden of some kind or just a uh, garden that's upkept. Yeah, when we went to San Antonio, they had a Chinese garden that you could walk through. And it was really pretty. It had a lot of stone and plants together. Um, but it was just a garden. Like, I found a list of, like different botanical gardens in the U.S., and it only lists 20. So there are only 20 that I could find in the U.S. 20 botanical gardens. That were labeled as real botanical gardens. official botanical gardens. Mm -hmm. They're found in North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Florida, Pennsylvania, Colorado, D.C., Delaware, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Ohio, Arizona, California. That's interesting. So most of it is leaning much more towards the... East Coast. Seems to be. Yeah. 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 In California, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So um, here are some five differences between like a park, you know, just, just a regular garden for the public and a botanical garden. So parks are intended mostly for recreation versus the botanical gardens, which focus on plant science research, education, conservation, and horticulture display. Two, parks have functional landscapes and plantings, such as playing fields and picnic roofs, versus the botanical gardens, curated, labeled living collections, interpreted exhibits, and managed habitat areas. Botanical gardens are almost more like a museum if you go and enjoy them. It's just kind of like labeled plants and Mm -hmm. not so much pick some flowers for, you know, your honey. Exactly. (laughs) As they'd say back in the 60s. Three, parks are typically publicly funded by taxes versus botanical gardens, which are typically community supported by gifts, memberships, and use fees. Four, parks encourage sports and dog walking versus botanical gardens where sports and pets are not permitted. And finally, parks typically trend towards monoculture with little biodiversity with exceptions for managed natural areas, versus botanical gardens, which are typically high in biodiversity. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay, so that's a little what they are, a little history, uh, where they are in the United States, what's the difference. I'm going to talk just a little bit about the one in D.C. Here are some facts you probably didn't know about the um, U.S. Botanical Garden. Though George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison led the charge for the Botanic Garden and wasn't managed by the government at first. Oh, that's interesting. So they led the charge for it, but it was private. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, Financial woes eventually led the garden's turnover 
to the federal government in 1837, and it slipped into neglect. Mm. Shame, shame. After years in front of the Capitol, which I didn't realize, um, the garden was moved to its present home in 1933, which is, I believe, the mall. The sculpture of the Statue of Liberty also created the cast iron Bartholdi Fountain, which is named after him and now rests outside the Botanic Gardens Conservatory. Interesting. By 1992, much of the building had begun to deteriorate and needed to be torn down and replaced. So, one of the things that I've noticed throughout history is that um, in America, like the nation and botanical gardens, is that sometimes they succeed and sometimes it doesn't. Like, there was one example, I think um, a guy in Manhattan tried to create a botanical garden. And what ended up happening was he put so much money into it that he, he became broke and had to sell it. Sell the land, which a university bought, and thus destroyed oh <laughs> the my. garden. Oh. So it was very, very sad. But that's just one example of... In 2017, staffers went on the garden's first plant-collecting trip about 150 years ago. Some of the garden's holdings come from illicit donations. Not all the plants are intentionally smuggled, but many are intended for the black market. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because I've actually seen mystery movies... Where the stealing of like certain types of plants is like the plot that caused like the whatever the downfall, like the killing somebody or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they they've actually made that a centerpiece mm-hmm. uh, for different uh, movies and, and TV mystery shows. Yeah, and that's interesting. The one in DC, it's on the mall. It looks like just a regular like government building, but inside it has the it holds the uh, botanical gardens hmm. of DC and. I can only remember one that we went to, and that was the one in South Carolina. We went to Myrtle Beach, and we went to the botanical garden there. Has anybody else been to any other botanical gardens? So we've been to the one in D.C. It's been many, many years since we've been there. We should go again, right? Yeah. I think we went to, well, at least I did. It may have been as a kid, but Beth and I may have gone to one in Pennsylvania. I know I've been to one, because I think Carnegie had a botanical gardens. I think we went to one in Texas, and um, I was just looking up. We actually have an um, arboretum close to us here. Okay. Um, and that is a... Technically a, a botanical It's a specific type of botanical garden. Uh, we have one that's just um, you know, maybe uh, 20 miles from here. Is that like tree many. collections? It's wooded plants. Okay. Yes. So um, so it's it, like it's a slice of the whole botanical garden. So mm-hmm. imagine a botanical garden has to cover... A wide range of mm-hmm. plants, like water plants, and as well as the wooded, the flowers, deciduous, you know, all the different types. Versus mm-hmm. the arboretum, which is more specific, mm-hmm. and it's an outdoor walking type of um, area for people. That's so interesting. It's pretty, yeah. yeah. That, we've always really enjoyed going to botanical gardens. Um, they're a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They usually have places to sit. They have some educational things you can look at and, and encounter. Uh, but there's just so much plants to take in. They a lot of them may have like a an area for butterflies or other types of insects. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Very mm-hmm. interesting. I encourage you all who are listening to look up online the websites for the different botanical gardens, especially if you're planning to visit one. They seem all seem to have their own websites or official websites, and that will give you more insight into um, if they have guided tours, like right. what kind of plants they have on display because they may not have 
all the plants that they have and re- are researching on display at that time. Yeah. And the, the, often they will have things for kids. Yeah. Like you can, I don't know if you can download them now, but when we had gone, when you guys were little to the Arboretum, mm-hmm. they had these little things that for the kids, we got them for you and we went and looked for things mm-hmm. in the, in the yeah. Arboretum. So that was really neat. That so they really probably neat. have part of the education Right, the mm-hmm. educational aspect of it would be to help kids learn more about that. So yeah. they probably have different ways to do that. And I could see like school trips taking them there, but if you right. just want to go with your kids, that would be just a fun little um, mm-hmm. adventure. We're at a phase now where a number of places are in their phase one of reopening mm-hmm. due to the quarantine uh, from the pandemic. As places continue to open up more, I would think museums would be a place where it'd be a little easier to maintain the distance you need mm-hmm. because you already. Uh, set to not touch things, right? Because in museums and gardens, you're really not supposed to touch the things in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, And you can control the flow. So hopefully these places will open up over the summer and people will be able to you know, get out and enjoy some of those. And, and the outside ones, like the arboretums, and even a lot of botanical gardens have an outside area yeah. that, they can, that they, you can go to. Those would be even easier to social distance. Yeah, there. you can control like how many people are allowed in right. versus out. And, and how like far that. away. You, know, you can stand away from people. That's right. So that's yeah. right. Hopefully that's... Well, it's one of those out. things, too, that it's a great kind of de... You know, there's... Stress is so yes. high with the quarantine. Right, gardens tend to be something that will de- kind of de-stress, like just yeah. walking through and enjoying it, and all the different right. smells and yeah, just kind of a very low stress. Yeah, we kind of live in our own botanical gardens. This you last do, week, yeah, I had a chance to mow down um, a number of pathways in the woods, like I do each year, um, and it just makes uh, it's so much easier to walk through the the pine trees and. It's, oh, it's really so neat, yeah. Peaceful. And We've been walking through back the trails, and yeah. it's like they, there's a whole this pine straw all over the ground. Right. So, and it just has this really neat feel to it as yeah. you're going through it. It's still nature here, so you have to carry a stick with you so you can um, brush the uh, spider webs that may have yeah. gone across the path down, but from uh, tree to yeah. tree, from tree to tree. But but it's just, it is very peaceful to walk in those areas. So it very mm-hmm. much is a just de-stressor. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's what I have on the botanical gardens, or their botanic gardens. So um, check it out next time that they're open. We will. Open and available. Yep. Okay, so we are going to a super fun summer attraction that's just slightly different than something that <laughs> you would actually want. I think this will make more sense after you explain the first one. Yep. yep. So if... I was to say, let's go on a summer vacation somewhere in the Midwest. What are some What are some big attractions that would pop right into your head? Okay, for me, I always think about, I was an anthropology major, so I think about the different Indian tribes and the different, like mm-hmm. bison and uh, pioneering yeah. um, things. Maybe, I don't know, Little House on the Prairie something? Little House yeah, on the Prairie. Yeah, there's probably a museum or something out yeah. that way, right? Yeah. But there's a couple of, there's a couple of, very fairly big things that people go on vacation to see. Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. That's yep. a good one. Oh, you're talking. Okay. I'm talking like sites. Okay. Uh, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. That's the one that I was thinking of. When I thought of vacationing to the Midwest, that was the first thing that popped into my head. So then I was thinking, I wonder if there's any other mountains in South Dakota that have faces carved into them. Oh my gosh, there is? Yes, there are. <laughs> So, 
I present to you the Crazy Horse Memorial. Oh! A fairly large mountain with the uh, famous Lakota warrior, Crazy Horse. I'm actually familiar with this mountain. You are? Mm -hmm. Have you been there? No. Oh, okay. No, but I've seen pictures. You've seen and images. Yes, yep. I've, and I've read some of the background on it. The Crazy Horse Memorial is a mountain monument uh, under construction on privately held land in the Black Hills uh, in South Dakota. It was commissioned by Henry Standing Bear, a Lakota, a Lakota elder, to be sculpted and is operated by the Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation, which is a nonprofit. So Crazy Horse was a Native American war leader of the Ogallala Lakota. He took up arms against the U.S. federal government to fight against encroachment on the territories and the way of life of the Lakota people. Uh, his most famous actions against the U.S. military included the Fetterman fight and one of the most famous Native American and U.S. battles. Can you think of it? Oh, Battle of Little Bighorn? Little Bighorn, yeah. yep. Uh, that's one that he is famous for. He surrendered to U.S. troops under General Crook in May 1877 and was fatally wounded by a military guard, allegedly while resisting imprisonment in Nebraska. And he ranks as among the most notable and iconic of Native American tribe members. So Henry Standing Bear commissioned Polish-American sculptor Korshak... Zielkowski, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> uh, Polish names are always kind of a crapshoot for me. <laughs> uh, to build the Crazy Horse Memorial in the Black Hills. So the memorial is a nonprofit undertaking and does not accept federal or state funding. The Memorial Foundation finances the project by charging fees for its visitor centers and earning revenue from its gift shops and receiving contributions. Um, the Polish... Sculptor was originally offered $10 million for the project from the federal government on two occasions, but he turned the offers down. He felt like it was more than just a mountain carving, and he was afraid that his plans for the broader educational and cultural goals would be overturned by federal involvement. He died in uh, 1982, uh, and his widow took charge of the sculpture, overseeing work on the project as CEO from the 1980s to the 2010s. And she decided to focus on the completion of Crazy Horse's face first instead of the horse as her husband had originally planned. So it's still an ongoing project. Wow. But they've got his face pretty much done at this point. I can't, it's huge. I can't even imagine sculpting a horse also into the side of this mountain because it's like a mountain sculpture. Um, and I'll show you later here. In 1998, both the head and face of Crazy Horse were completed and dedicated. Crazy Horse's eyes are 17 feet wide, while his head has an area of 87 feet. Wow. Zilkowski's widow and seven of her ten children carried on work at the memorial. Their daughter, Monique, herself a sculptor, modified some of her father's plans to ensure that the weight of the outstretched arm was supported sufficiently. When completed, the sculpture will stand at 641 feet long, 563 feet tall, making it the world's largest sculpture by far. For a size comparison, the 
head of Crazy Horse alone is 27 feet taller than the six-story heads of Mount Rushmore. That's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. And, and I've seen pictures of the uh, what it's going to look finished versus what it is. They have like a, a small sculpture of the what it's going oh, the to look. Oh, completed statue, right. yeah. And, and then in the distance you can see like how far they've come along. Um, and it's I rem- not very far. No, but I, but I do remember when I was, I don't know, maybe I don't know, t- 20 years younger, the head wasn't as nearly as far along. So it, it is interesting now to see that they have made good progress on the face, uh, whereas before the face was much more blocky. So they are, looks like they're slowly making progress, but because it's not federally funded, it's privately funded, and most of their funds are, there's no like major donor funding is it, it's just going to take years and decades to get this thing done mm. also as a small aside before we were starting the podcast today i turned to dad and i asked i wonder if we can get through this entire thing without honest coming over and meowing and she did and she just showed up that's right. somewhere around here um but you, may have, you may have heard a couple of uh, little meows in there it's not just the statue it's a whole experience too like they have a campus there they have nature gates, which were uh, iron gates that um, the sculptor's children decorated with the silhouettes of 219 animals indigenous to South Dakota. Uh, and they have the Indian Museum of North America there, too. Oh, my goodness, girl. You were just meowing all over the place. Um, they have a restaurant, Native American Educational and Cultural Center, and the sculptor's uh, home and studio original lobby, uh, and a number of gift shops and conference facilities, too. So if you go there, it's not just kind of like, oh, we'll go and look at it for a day. You can kind of make even a few days' experience out of it. Interesting. Um, Because you can go on trails that are nearby. You can go and check out the amenities, restaurants. Um, I know the campus, the facility, has its own restaurant. I think it's called... Um, Laughing Water Restaurant. Yep, Laughing Water Restaurant, uh, which looks beautiful. Um, so it's kind of a very much a cultural experience as well as just looking at a cool sculpture. In progress. In progress, which is immense. I encourage you, if you guys haven't already looked up what the sculpture looks like on your phones, and to the listener, I encourage you to, to check it out. Just yeah. Google image search it because it's... Very impressive. It's really neat to have what the finished sculpture is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Because right. for me, if I if I just saw the face without the rest of the without more context, it's a little anticlimactic. But when you see what they're planning to do, mm-hmm. it, yeah, that's immense. Yeah. Yeah. that's crazy. And they started working on it in 1948, right? So, and that's how far they've gotten. So you can see it. This is like a multi generational project. Right. Absolutely. It's, yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting thing is that this is, it's in the same state as Mount, Mount Rushmore, Rushmore, but right. it's only 25 minutes from Mount Rushmore. So you could make a whole thing. You could, you could go whole, to yeah. Mount Rushmore and then skip on over mountain, to... Yeah. Mountain faces. Yeah. Day right. out of it. Yeah. I mean, that whole area is kind of neat because you can also go to the Battle of Little Bighorn. Um, you can go to, they have some kind of like open museum space where they talk about the bisons, the huge bison herds that used to flow and they still have areas where bisons roam freely so one of my brothers went to that area and um he you know sent back pictures and things and it's it's a really neat vacation area um that people may not think of right it's one of the things that like my off the beaten path series of different countries last year that i did for summer 
Um, now I think I'm going to run into the same problem where I want to go. That's right. <laughs> I, want, I want to go to see this now because yeah. it's, it's really cool. Very exciting. Definitely go check it out. It's really cool if you haven't been to any kind of Native American museum or reservation or uh, anything like that. Definitely go and check it out because it's really, really interesting to see the different kind of culture. And I know we went to the Cherokee Museum in South Carolina. North, no, I think it was North, North, it was North Carolina. Yeah, it was North Carolina, um, which was really cool. So now I'm definitely putting this on my list to make a uh, a day out of Rushmore to Crazy Horse to Little Bighorn. Yeah, it's quite a drive from here, but yeah, once, <laughs> once you get there, there, you've got several things you can do. Yep. Right. So that's fun. Very fun. Thank you for that. Thanks for the fun topics this week. Our future festivities are for the week of June 1st. June 1st is National Trails Day. June 2nd, National Leave the Office Early Day. June 3rd, National Repeat Day. June 3rd, National Repeat Day. <laughs> good one. <laughs> June 4th, Hug Your Cat Day. Yeah, good luck with that. June 5th, National Moonshine Day. June 6th, National Drive-In Movie Day. June 7th, National Boon Day. As always, you can find us on social media by following at holiday underscore moons on instagram we are at holiday moons and on facebook you can find us by searching holiday moons in the search bar we have a facebook page and a facebook group and you can contact us at any time by emailing holidaymoons at gmail.com so for beth randy sydney and cole happy almost summer To the heart